Hey, Slap Nuts, hear about this new show? Uh, what new show? The HMP show. Joey Colombo and Big Billy Balls from the Horror Mafia. Hey, they got a new show in the works. A new show? Well, we haven't heard from those guys in a year. I don't know. Bill's probably been busy uh, whacking off to a Serbian film. And hey, Joey's been held up in some hostel somewhere and with gabagool all over his tits. Maybe they had the uh, vid. You know, the coos. COVID? Nah. Bill got a chlamydia scare, though. Anyway, they're hooking up with them J-Mac guy uh, to do some new variety show. Oh, that porno guy? No, have you seen that guy's dick? Nah, I'm talking about the Slice and Dice Dreadcast guy. Oh, so they're gonna randomly pick movies to talk about? No, it's a variety show, like I said. Not random horror flicks. But real deal shit. Not just movies, but music and albums, true crime docs, and conspiracies. You know, like about your mother's ass. They're even bringing their homegirl Tanya to help slay the episodes. They're not gonna make her watch those terrible movies again, are they? No, you simple bitch. I told you, it's a variety show. They're probably gonna, I don't know, have a juggle of tatas or do gymnastics or some shit. I don't know what it is, but hey, whatever it is they're doing, I'm tuning in. And you should too, you jerk-offs. The HMP Show, coming soon to the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. ועל מה דברה קירותי, וימליך מלכותי, ויצמח פורקני, ויקרב משיחי. בחייכון וביומיכון, ובחיי דכל בית ישראל, בעגלה ובזמן קריב, ואמרו אמן. There is something very, very wrong here. We have to go now. It won't let you live. Mrs. Litvak, what won't let me leave? The magic. It will make you see terrible things. The Masik will find another broken person.
Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Mr. Venom? How you doing? Greetings and salutations, lovers of baguettes and escargot. Yes, I'm doing very well. How you doing, Mike? <laughs> I know you love escargot, so it, it, yeah. it fits. Uh, to be perfectly honest, that's one thing I've actually never tried. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open to trying like different things, but it's just, that opportunity has never kind of presented itself to me. It's one but, of those delicacies that I find disgusting. Like, yeah. like uh, what do you call it? Caviar. <laughs> Caviar, I can eat it if it's like mixed with something to kind of dilute the extreme like saltiness and stuff, but... Yeah, that's true. Anyways, <laughs> the days are getting longer, so I'm doing well. I'm I'm enjoying the kind of spring, the early spring weather up here in Northern California. But uh, enough of that. Don and Ellie is also here with us as always. What's up, Don? Hello. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Hey. Yeah. All right. And then uh, joining us also for the first time in a long time, we finally found him after he walked off the set on uh, the Us episode uh, many, many months ago. Uh, he's no stranger to us, the show, or even podcasting. Everyone should recognize him. And hey, he might even have something to announce later on this episode. It's Joey. What's up, Joey? Oh, you West Coast son of a guns. It's colder than a witch's tit here in Brooklyn, New York. My daughter, it's 20-something out, and my nipples are hard. <laughs> I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> you lucky bastards. How you doing, boys? What's up, What's man? up, buddy? What's up, Got man? some gabagool ready for us? Oh, yeah, spread it all over, baby. Mm. Love a gabagool, uh. Yeah, like now that you gobble, now that you've been uh, stewing on us for about a year, any any final thoughts on it? <laughs> oh yeah, I gotta finish that. Actually, you know, it's pretty crazy because um, not this summer. Wow, this is how long ago we we recorded the us episode. Not the summer, not COVID summer. The year before, I taught it in my American literature class, and they did their midterm papers on us. So I've, we had to record before that, so it has to be about a year and a, over a year and a half since we did that shit. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Long time. Uh, yeah, us came out January 2019. So it's been over two years. Wow. Look at that. Yeah, man. It, it doesn't feel like it because even though you haven't been, um, you know, doing a lot of shows in the last year and a half, two years, you've still kind of been around, so it's it's hard to realize like oh yeah the shows i mean you you did come back for a little bit with club dreadcast so that that's out there with a handful of episodes and then uh we'll see what else is in store for joey later on but uh tonight we are talking uh the vigil and this one is uh recent release last friday i believe was the official american release on vod and it's listed as a horror mystery thriller on IMDb, PG-13. A cool hour and 29 minutes, and let's see what we have for the synopsis. A man providing overnight watch to a deceased member of his former Orthodox Jewish community 
finds himself opposite a malevolent entity. Uh, and this looks like it's a feature debut for writer-director Keith Thomas. It says electrifying feature debut, so we'll find out if that's ac- uh, accurate, if this is an electrifying <laughs> feature debut. The electrifying well, you know, debut of the directorial. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know how Blumhouse likes to exaggerate in their marketing materials, so who knows? Mm-hmm. All right, well. The New York, Post, the New York Post wrote an article and billed it as scary as hell. Oh boy! Uh-oh. Watch it. Yeah. Well, that well. means nothing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I probably heard that about what twenty movies every year for the past decade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 jump into some general thoughts. Starting with Venom, as always. Venom, what did you think of the vigil? Um, well, I mean, first and foremost, when I saw the Blumhouse Productions logo at the beginning, I instantly rolled my eyes. Um, Blumhouse has done some great horror, um, specifically more earlier in their kind of life, uh, their life cycle, if you will, stuff like Paranormal Activity, Insidious, stuff like that. And then they kind of lost their way a little bit over the last few years. It seems like now that they have a little bit more money and clout, they're making higher budget, uh, either remakes obviously uh blumhouse did the halloween remake but they also did stuff like fantasy island and truth or dare which i famously can't stand either of those movies so i just wanted to start that off by saying yes this is a blumhouse production so be warned but to get into my general thoughts i feel like this was a return to form for blumhouse i really enjoyed this film just like the last few weeks uh, worth of films that we've done, Wrong Turn and St. Maud, once again, this is not going to be a horror film for everyone. There's, um, you know, you've got religious horror here, which a lot of people don't really get into the religious horror. Uh, we're also talking about a film uh, shot in France that actually has a lot of Hebrew and French language in it throughout the film. Mostly Hebrew, obviously, more than anything. Um, you know, so there's going to be a little bit of subtitle reading and there's not really any big names in this film necessarily. I mean, we get, we got uh, obviously for obvious reasons, a lot of Jewish actors and as Mike already mentioned, you know, Keith Thomas is, uh, this is his writing and directorial debut. And personally, I think he did a great job. Um, I, I really enjoy movies like this. And the, the reason I say that is because this is the type of movie that makes me learn things. I actually like because of watching this film, they use so many terms throughout the film um, that I'm not really familiar with, as I know absolutely zero about Judaism. I don't have any Jewish friends, never dated a Jewish girl. It's just something that hasn't really crossed hey, my path. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so watching this and, and learning a little bit um, about what a shoima is and, you know, um, you know, things like that. It made me go online and do research. So I've got, you know, I've got a, a couple of little bits of knowledge to share with you guys later on as we go through the walkthrough. But yeah, like I said, something that makes me think that actually makes me want to go out and research and learn about it. Um, oh, the same thing happened to me when we reviewed the Laplace demon a couple of years ago. I was so fascinated with that film that I went and I looked up the real life man, Pierre Laplace, to look 
to check out his history and, you know, what made him tick and what exactly was beyond, uh, excuse me, behind his math equation known as the Laplace's demon. But again, I digress. Um, you know, this movie, like I said, it made me do research, which is, you know, knowledge is great. I don't care what the knowledge is. Just being able to know something that I didn't know yesterday makes me happy. So, uh, but to the movie, um, we got some racy. <laughs> we got some good uh, scenes of tension. You know, we've got uh, a pretty much a single location for the majority of the film. Just you know, an elderly couple's home uh, where where the where the patriarch um, recently passed away. Actually, I believe he passed away that day. And um, our our protagonist for the film, Yaakov, is basically a former Orthodox Jew who used to perform the service called shoima. And what, what a shoima is, is just like we talked about uh, what Mike described in the uh, synopsis. It's a man who kind of provides over a dead body. And the exact definition of a shoima uh, basically is, it's a Jewish legal guardian entrusted with the custody and care of another's object. Now, they say the word object because there are four different kinds of shoimas. I'm not going to get into all four because that's going to make this podcast way too long. But the one that we're dealing with today is called a shoima sakar. And what that is is basically someone who's not a family member, who's not related to the deceased, who is actually paid a fee to perform the services of the vigil, which is basically, like I said, as Mike described earlier, you know, the shoima kind of watches over the dead body and, you know, chants prayer throughout the night to ensure that, you know, they're protecting the deceased soul from evil and that they can pass easily into heaven. Obviously, there. this is a horror film that we're talking about, so of course there's going to be extenuating circumstances that kind of change the story a little bit, which obviously we'll get into in the, in the uh, walkthrough. But to try to just kind of cut this off short, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, as far as his filmmaking goes, nothing stellar. Like, you know, it's not like the cinematography was so great that you were in awe. It's not like the soundtrack was so great that you were constantly praising it. All the filmmaking aspects are, just like last week's movie, Wrong Turn, they're average to above average. It's a well-made film, but nothing that you would call a masterpiece. But where this movie shines is in its storytelling. I absolutely love this story, the story of the Mazik, which is basically a Jewish demon. Um, and I'll, you know, that's not the exact name of it. They shorten the name for the movie to just Mazik, but it's a Mazakin. And, you know, again, as we go through the walkthrough, I'll go over some of that stuff. So obviously lots of supernatural elements. It's basically a ghost story slash haunted house story, if you will, a curse. You know, it's kind of like his house where someone's traveling from country to country carrying a curse with them. Um, I love the ending of this movie. I thought the culmination was great. I liked how the final uh, action-packed climax wasn't necessarily the emotional climax of the film. Um, and again, I'll explain that statement more when we go into the uh, uh, the walkthrough. But um, just so that we can move on to everybody else, um, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, it worked for me in almost every way. I have very little negative to say about it. Uh, performances were good. Line readings were great. None of the dialogue made me cringe or roll my eyes. All the characters are believable and likable. So, yeah, this movie worked for me on many, many levels. I'm not going to say that it's a spectacular film that's easily going to be in my top ten at the end of the year. 
but as of right now, as of literally an hour ago, finishing my third watch of it, I legitimately enjoyed this movie, and I actually liked it more and more as I watch it. So, um, A-plus film, but not necessarily anything that I'm probably going to be talking about a lot at the end of the year. But a high recommend from me. All right. Uh, let's move on over to Don Nelly on The Vigil. Um, so I wanted to like this a lot more than I ended up doing. Um, I do agree with Venom. I do like the way it looks. I do like the the overall presentation. I do like the atmosphere. I just found it really predictable and kind of just repetitious over time. It just it felt like every single one of these Bloomhouse films of every single time something happening, bam. Um, there's a musical scare jolting you out of your seat, or there's something standing in the corner reaching out or screaming in your face. It kind of just felt repetitious after a while, and I really just didn't care for it after, you know, as time went on. It also didn't help that I didn't really like the way that it kept on going. Like, It really felt like it was more of a short than a feature-length idea. Um, I don't know where Venom's coming off with the great writing, because the writing to this is really all over the place. I didn't really enjoy it that much. Um, uh, trying to keep this spoiler-free and not ramble. Uh, I mean, like I said, it, the visual presentation is there. I like the way it looks. I like. There's actually a few scares that in here that do work, but overall, I felt it just really repetitious and really just playing on the same thing over and over again. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I wanted to like it more, but it's it just didn't work as much as I wanted it to. All right, a man a few words on this one. <laughs> so, uh, but to the point, we we got it. Um, so let's uh, go to <laughs> Joey. What uh, what did you think of the vigil? All right, all right. Uh, <clears throat> I'm like actually in between the two of you guys. So with this movie, I agree with Don that it's. It's repetitious in that it's something that, you know, we've seen before as far as um, religious horror, the jump scares, you know, the way the the way that uh, it comes off as like a typical Blumhouse film. Like you could look at Insidious and see the same cues in this film. Right. For example, you know, so in that retrospect, I'm like. It doesn't do it for me, you know, as like a horror movie that's scaring me. Like I thought, I, I mentioned the New York Post, you know, said in the in the title, "Scary as hell." So like, obviously, I'm I know that it's most likely not going to be scary as hell, right? So, um, I still had high expectations, you know. Bill Casanelli, our buddy in the podcast world, right? Um, he said it was great, so I'm like. Oh, okay, all right. So, you know, I have some high expectations for it. And where I agree with Venom is I, I do think the writing is strong. I disagree with Don there. And, and the fact that what I find strong about the writing is the authenticity of it. So my wife grew up Orthodox Jewish. Lo and behold, I also live right next to Borough Park, where is the setting <laughs> of the story, literally, it's the neighborhood right next to me. I live in Dyke Heights, Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, I, so this is very familiar territory, right? And my wife did watch the movie with, movie with me. So the research you were doing, I had basically next to me, feeding me all the lines, translating the Hebrew for me, 
telling me everything, you know. So like when it comes to the Shomer, the Shaima, right? Um, that is an extremely important position. Like once a body dies, there needs to be somebody and somebody who's Jewish next to this body with this body at all times, right? Um, you know, dead body's not allowed to be alone from the time they die till the time they're buried. Um, that's why they do like these quick funerals, quick funerals versus Catholics where, you know, we have a wake for like two days, drawn out party status. If it's like an old person, you know what I mean? They're ready to kick the bucket. It's like a party almost, you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) sorry to be so blunt, but it is right. And, you know, so the authenticity is, is this guy like asking him to do this? That's a real thing. Like, the in, in orthodox culture favors are like a barter system that's still goes on you know like you see orthodox guys hitchhiking all the time they come up to my car window they they want to hitchhike they they look to see if you're orthodox and uh so this bartering system it, it's you know favor system type that's why he the 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 rabbi he tells him oh come and do this job he's he it's not about the money he thinks he's going to come back to his faith right um, but about the Shoimas, they have organizations here. There's one that's called Vacha Hasira, and they send somebody to stay with the body, you know. Um, and you know what happened when the scene when the rabbi brings him there? I don't know if, if it, you know, came up when you guys were watching it in the subtitles or not, but, you know, basically she was saying he's not religious enough to watch the body. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what my, you know, my wife was telling me. So, you know, the authenticity of it. And then it's like that scene where he pops the headphones on and it just kicks into that. I was like, oh, shit, here we go. It was almost like a Rocky Four montage, but not moving and sitting there with headphones in a weird Jewish horror movie. But, like, I got hype all of a sudden. I don't know. It was a weird, like, you know, it, it's an atmospheric film, right? It's mm-hmm. extremely slow burn. Um, you know, but what? so the part that I did, I, like... As a horror movie, I don't think it's, you know, exhilarating by any means. It's It's been done, like Don said, it's redundant. Um, but at the same time, if you look at this in with, like, literary meta and, like, analyze the psychology, the different themes involved, you know, it becomes this very interesting movie, you know, about faith, um, family, in, in one retrospect, right? Um, and, you know, self-introspection, which... Yes, it's really important nowadays, man. Everybody's worried about everything else when people don't worry about self-care, you know? He's worried he can't pay the rent, he can't afford his meds. Which one are you going to do, you know? And remember he talks about having like a paper um, resume? Like these men who grow up <laughs> in these orthodox yeah. communities, that's legit. Like I teach in an orthodox college. I, the college I teach at is, is founded and ran by Orthodox Jews, and a lot of my students are religious, you know, like, and they come from yeshiva, and where they're studying Torah all day, and they learn English, science, math, like, for a couple hours in the afternoon, and it's not every single yeshiva, but in, in the ultra-Orthodox community, which is where Yaakov is in this film, that's the way it is, like, even this semester, I told this kid came up to he well not came up to me on Zoom right. He's like, Professor, um, 
you know, I, I don't, I've never written an essay before. Like I have no idea what to do. He's like, we used to just like play, like you hung out. That was school. Like I was like, whoa, you know? So, I mean, it's it's a very very like fascinating culture you know venom you'll go down a rabbit hole forget about it you Mm -hmm. know doing research on this and uh you know as for initial thoughts just to wrap it up and bring over the mic because it's been a while since i've been on the mic pun intended um (laughs) i could keep on going so i'll get back on in a sec overall i'm in the middle i think it was an interesting film i don't think it's like groundbreaking but i do think it was well done and well put together mm-hmm. all right so uh for me here's my thoughts on the vigil i think where the movie has its strength is the fact that we get the story from a judaism uh background you know it breaks away from the traditional catholicism pov uh, i would say the majority of exorcism films kind of come from that perspective now with a lot of foreign films the jewish exorcist uh yeah they they will break into like their own um cultures and religions but usually a lot of american ones happen to be you know, through that catholicism pov so i would kind of did appreciate the fact that we're getting uh, something a little different um we're learning about different customs different ways of doing things uh customs that i am not overly familiar with um i i grew up one of my parents is jewish we but we didn't grow up very religious uh, i you know i knew some holidays i i could actually speak hebrew a little bit when i was a kid um but uh, it, it never went this deep in our family. So I, I, for a lot of the stuff in here, I, I didn't know about what was going on. So I thought that was interesting. It was kind of cool to see a little something different. Um, the I, I would say, I don't know if I would call it a problem, but where the movie kind of like veers back towards you know the usual stuff you've seen is you know once all the tropes, the normal tropes start basically happening in the movie. Uh, you know, like Don said, I think it was like the musical cues, the typical, uh, you know, the lights go on and, oh, you see something. So there's a lot of familiar stuff as well in this movie. Overall, I, I still uh, thought it was a solid piece of filmmaking. And I would say it's definitely worth uh, your time. It, you know, it kind of reminded me last year. It, I don't find it to be as good of a movie. But kind of like the way his house was a uh, a ghost haunted house story, sort of, but from a, a POV that, you know, especially American audiences probably aren't used to seeing. And that really elevated that movie. I think this went some, uh, you know, this took some strides to do that for uh, the specific storytelling. But overall, the movie just it didn't hit the heights of his house to me. Um, but I like the characters in this, you know, I, I, I like the, uh, the wife of the, or the widow, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked her character. Um, and I like the way the story unfolded. I just think once the movie really kind of gets into it, there's a lot of familiar ter- territory that we go over and that's not a bad thing. It doesn't make the movie, a, you know, bad or worse for it. It's just kind of like, okay. This is the kind of stuff I'm used to. This is the kind of stuff I've seen before. But um, um, I still had fun with it. And I thought by the end, you know, uh, the character kind of gets his redemption. 
and mm. all all was well. I, I went away from it, you know. Like Venom said, I don't know if at the end of the year this one is going to be getting talked about, or you know, we have a long way to go. Lots of movies mm-hmm. will be seen before then. But for now, you know, it, it's probably one of the better ones I've seen so far. And that's really yeah, definitely, it's, it's 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 up there. I mean, I think I've only watched like maybe twenty four movies this year, so I, I'm a little behind, mm-hmm. obviously. But yeah, I mean this. Ultimately, even though with all the positive things I said about it, it's not even currently a top 10 movie for me. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, for whatever it's worth, I walked away loving this film. I see all the issues that Don and Joe, uh, it, that, yeah, that you guys have with the movie, you know, the, the, ba- the, the basic Blumhouse formula, the jump scares, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know for as I've said a million times before, and I'll say it a million more times, I don't care about getting something I've quote unquote never seen before. Originality is almost dead in this world. So we're going to be getting stuff that we've seen before. No, Uh, that's that's true. I mean, think about like the songs we love. It's the same fucking four chords since like the 1940s and 50s. You know what I mean? mean, A wise man once said that there's really only four different kinds of stories in the world. You know, the the hero's journey, boy meets girl. I forget exactly what all four were. But yeah, there are four basic stories like you know motivations and so ultimately we're going to see stuff that we've seen before of the hundred and i don't know 13 movies that i saw last year i can't say that 113 of them were original hell i might not even be able to say 25 of them were like ultra original but the point is is that if it's still entertaining it's still well made um and i and i you know i'm not constantly cringing at either scenarios or line readings or anything like that then a movie works for me right, I, right. like i said i was not, i was not bored for one second of this film i wasn't bored i wasn't frustrated i wasn't mm-hmm. looking at my phone nothing i was i was invested in this and for whatever it's worth, it worked for me. Like I said, it's not stellar. This isn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling this the godfather of horror by any stretch. That's for you, that's for you Joey. Woo! <laughs> um, I'm just saying that, on, you know, at face value, you know, the movie is fine. It looks like stuff Blumhouse has given to us before, which is why I gave my little caveat at the beginning that be warned, this is a Blumhouse production. But there were some things that I still thought were very well done. Not every jump scare in the movie has an audio accompaniment. And I actually put that in my notes, that I was very happy with the fact that some of the jump scares didn't have a loud screeching noise yelling at me. But even in the scenes where that was prevalent, it still worked for me. Is the movie scary? No. I'm I'm a 50-year-old horror fan that's been watching horror movies since I was nine. Nothing scares me anymore. The real world scares me, not fucking movies. So to actually judge a movie on its uh, fear value just doesn't work for me. Um, I I try to go more for tone and tension. And for my money, the tension in this movie works. The tone, uh, the religious overviews of the whole thing, just it all worked for me. So... You know, like I said, I'm not trying to say this is a groundbreaking film by any stretch of the imagination. It's a solid film that never frustrated me once. And that's sometimes that's all you need to enjoy a film. And it it shows it shows uh, Keith Thomas, you know, for a directorial debut. The fact that he wrote and directed this, it shows that the kids got some chop. The guys got some chops. And I do want to see what he puts out next. You know, Um, I think he's doing the uh, Firestarter remake. Ooh, nice. 
you know, the fact that he, like, he he got people on board to make, like, first of all, he's Jewish, he didn't grow up Orthodox, but he did have consultants on this movie. Like, this is legit. Like, he had Orthodox people, you know, like, fact-checking it, working on that dialogue, right? Um, he had rabbis explaining things. Like, this is, so, and that's the good, that's the great part of this movie. Like, it's authentic, like, you know. I could totally see teaching this in the classroom. You know what I mean? It's PG-13. It's accessible for people who are religious. And and, the, and that's the odd thing. Like, my wife, she grew up Orthodox. She, you know, she watched TV, blah, 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 blah. But, like, in the community that's in this film, Borough Park, so many of these people have never seen a movie in their life. You know what I mean? Like, legit. Like, it's part of the religion. Like, you cannot watch a movie you know they don't have access to the internet you know what i mean they don't have smartphones um it's pretty it's pretty crazy man like it it's and and the thing is this like in the, i grew up in in brooklyn you know what i mean i've seen this compu- community my whole life i have family now i work in it you know what i mean so i've seen it you know it's 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 an amazing culture to explore but if you you know I've never experienced it, seen it. It's very easy to cast off like, what are these people, nuts? They're crazy. You know what I mean? But at the same time, they really have have a beautiful culture. You know, it's just not something that you, you know, could look at and appreciate unless you really delve through it. You know, it's it's kind of a interesting thing. I mean, hey, it's not for me. I'm not going to practice it, but I appreciate it by all means, you know? Um, and that's, again... It, it the the movie's not like preaching just about that. I mean, even if you're not religious, you know, you, this movie is accessible. You know, the empathy of the character, you feel that, man. You know, I don't want to give spoilers away, but the reasons why he loses yeah, what, religion. What, once uh, we get the pieces of the backstory puzzle for the main character, that's yeah, that you start to sympathize, and I I think that's another strength of the movie, his backstory. You know, viewers in the beginning might not really get the whole thing with the paper resume and not knowing how to put a contact in a phone, but that's legit, you know, like, and, and there's, it's a group, it's called Off the Derch. It's, it's, that's what it, that's what it means when you're religious and you're not religious anymore. And it, you can go and you, you go and get support. Like there's legit groups like this and together mm-hmm. you learn about the real world. It's, it's. Like, my, my wife didn't wear pants till she was, like, 22. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, And she was not one of the ultra-orthodox. So it, it's it's very strict. It's very intense. You know? And, and it's something that we look at and be like, what the... But it works for the people that choose that life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And especially if, if you grow up in it from, from birth, you don't know any better to begin with really i guess until you start interacting out in the world and you're like hey these other Yo, people aren't doing this it's funny like I'll, I'll get to like a red light and i'll be pumping my music and you see like the little jewish boys they start dancing and going wild ah! <laughs> because they never hear anything like that you know uh, it's, it, it's, it's nuts yeah i bet that's probably like a mini escape for them <laughs> <clears throat> all right Yo, I've, I've been the Shabbos guy before 
<laughs> no, for real. Like the neighbors, they they knock on the door because they know I'm not Jewish. Can you come turn off the stove? Can you turn off the air conditioner? Can you turn up? And I go on the Shabbos and do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> righty. Well, let's uh, go ahead and kick it to Venom. We're gonna get into spoilers now. So, uh, listeners, you know what to do if you have yep. not seen the movie. Yeah, that is your final spoiler warning, folks. All right, so the vigil. Um, our movie opens up with a uh, some dial or some text on screen, uh, kind of describing what a shoima is, uh, spelled S H O M E R, uh, pronounced shoima. And um, as we've already discussed at length, of course, it is someone who presides over a recently deceased body until they are. Buried, as Joey explained. So um, after we get that little bit of text, we basically start getting kind of a barrage of very vague images. We kind of see some not not quite black and white, but almost like blue toned uh, film. Show, so it's obviously showing something from the past. We're seeing some vague images of a man holding a gun to a woman's head. It looks like he, it's he's being forced to do it against his will. And then this, and then the uh, the whole thing just goes black, and uh, suddenly the movie is in modern day. And now we meet Yakov Ronin, and as you know, as we've already discussed, Yakov is a recent uh, Orthodox Jew who uh, kind of has walked away from his religion uh, for some reason that we're unaware of at this point. Um, but we basically see Yakov at some kind of at first when I saw the movie the first time, I thought it was some kind of just basic Jewish support group. But then but then as I watched it a second and third time, I started to realize based on some of the dialogue that this was a support group for people who were once very Orthodox Jewish and who no longer are and are basically acclimating themselves to the modern world, as Joey said, using cell phones, things like that. There's, a, there's even a cute little scene in this movie where Yakov is talking about how he just got his first cell phone and his favorite feature on it is the flashlight of all things. So <laughs> that, that's a cute little line right there. Um, and, you know, we get some different people talking about some struggles that they've had. We get a young woman talking about her, you know, kind of being uh, visually, you know, molested by some people, cat calls, things like that. And then we talk to Yakov and, you know, Yakov basically explains that he's still unemployed. He uh, he had an interview recently, but unfortunately didn't get the job. He didn't actually have a resume. He, he supposedly hand wrote one on a piece of paper on his way to the interview, which probably doesn't look good to most employers, of course. But he's also talking about how he's having financial troubles. He, on a daily basis, has to make a decision between taking his medication and eating um, which obviously, you know, get, kind of brings everybody at the meeting down. Um, and we see that Yakov is, you know, kind of awkward. He's very socially awkward, um, very standoffish, not the most energetic or outgoing person we've ever seen. Um, and as the meeting ends, uh, Yakov is actually asked out on a date by a girl named Sarah at the meeting. And this is where we get our first clues that Yakov is not a socially adjusted person because I mean, she asks him if he wants to go out and get some coffee and he replies with, I don't drink coffee. And then she says tea and he doesn't answer her right away. Mind you, Sarah is a rather attractive girl who seems like she's out of Yakov's league, but 
you know, again, you know, we're talking about people who maybe haven't acclimated themselves to our environment yet. So, um, and then as, uh, you know, they agree to have coffee at a later date. And as, the, as they leave, Sarah actually goes in for a hug and you can see Yakov kind of, you know, he's not sure what to do. He's obviously mm-hmm. never hugged a woman before, at least not in a romantic right. way. And so he obviously kind of. Oh, no, not in any way. You're you're not allowed. You, a man is not allowed to touch a woman. They're not, a woman is not allowed to be in the same room as a man alone. Like, for example, an elevator, she'll get off. Like, for example, if it's a classroom and it's me and an extremely religious student, like, I've never been in that situation. But they they wouldn't stay in that situation, you know what I mean? They would be like, can we go out in the hallway or something like that? Because you you know you're not allowed to be in the same room. Now a family member, I'm I'm pr- yeah, you can hug your mother and sisters and things like that. Right, right, cool. So um, as the meeting is ending, uh, one of Yakov's friends notices that there's someone outside the apartment building, kind of waiting for Yakov, and it's obviously someone that he has a he has some sort of past with. Uh, because his friend is aware of who the person is and what he wants. As it turns out, it's an old rabbi friend of Yaakov named Reb Shalom. Uh, Rebbe. Rebbe, yes. Uh, he's still he's still obviously a practicing uh, Jew. He is a rabbi. And basically, you know, it, it seems like he has a habit of talking to Yaakov and trying to get him to come back to the temple and, you know, be an active member of the community again, of the Orthodox community again. But obviously he's walked away for one reason or another. But on this particular evening, uh, Reb offers him a job as a shoima for the evening. Uh, basically, he lets him know, look, you only have to work five hours. Um, the the, um, the guys from the funeral home will be there at sunrise to pick up the body you know, um, it, uh, his wife is a very old woman, so it's going to be a very easy job. The rabbi then, of course, starts to tell uh, Yaakov about the deceased, letting them know that, you know, his name is Mr. Latvik, uh, Litvak, excuse me, Litvak, yeah. and that he is from, you know, he is a Holocaust survivor. He actually did have a wife in the old world who unfortunately passed away, and after that occurred, he came out to America, remarried, and started another family, but something occurred that made him estranged from his children, so um, Mr. and Mrs. Litvak don't have a relationship with their children currently, they are totally estranged, we'll get more explanation about that later. Uh, Reb also explains how the the Shoima who was supposed to work that evening for some reason decided not to just at the last second just said, no, I'm not doing it. Obviously, as movie viewers, we know we're watching a horror movie. So, you know, of course, our eyebrows start to rise right there. Oh, why did this guy, you know, not want to do it? Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, uh, Reb and Yakov agree on a price and Reb proceeds to take Yakov to the Litvak residence. Uh, as soon as he arrives there, uh, Mrs. Litvak is there to welcome him. As Joey mentioned earlier, you can't leave a dead body alone. So Mrs. Litvak is in the living room sitting with her husband's body. And instantly, as soon as um, Reb introduces Yakov as the Shoima for the evening, uh, Mrs. Litvak says, no, he must go. Uh, he won't do something along those lines. Um, 
But then out of nowhere, she just starts singing a traditional Hebrew song and then just goes up the stairs, like without much mm -hmm. of a protest. Um, so at that point, the rabbi leaves and Yaakov is now alone in the Litvak house. As soon as the rabbi leaves, Yaakov turns on his iPhone, he puts his uh, earplugs, his, his earbuds in, and like Joey said, he just kind of starts rocking out, listening to music. <laughs> he actually goes on the internet and looks up articles on how to speak to women. Yeah. Obviously, you know, he has a date with Sarah coming up soon, and the man has no social graces at all. So, you know, he's going to the internet, which mm -hmm. I guess is the best place he can think of to look for that kind of information. So um, let me throw while, this one out there real quick, because I, I go to my wife, I'm like, how come she didn't just stay with the body, the the wife? All right? night, though? Yeah. And then she's like, well, she has to go to sleep. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, I guess. And she also has Alzheimer's. Okay. And I'm like, well, why can't the rabbi stay? She's like. He's the rabbi. He can't stay. You know how I many things he has to do? He has his own family. He probably has like 10 kids. <laughs> like, oh, I guess. Yeah, if the rabbi could do it, they wouldn't <laughs> have created this position. And obviously, it's uh, it's someone who's highly respected in the community. Not the rabbi, but the shoima. Uh, professional shoimas, right. anyway. Like I said, Yaakov. Yeah, is, yeah. No it, 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 feel, it feels like a very um, communal-based tradition and custom going on here. That, so that's why there's like uh, the a vigil, whole position just dedicated to it. Yep. The actual act of doing that, my wife says the visual, that's like considered the ultimate good deed. Yeah, I kind of figured. Judaism. Especially so like that's why he thinks he's going to get his faith back. Rabbi thinks um, yep. Yaakov will get his faith back from it. Exactly. And I was in in my research, I did discover that most shoimas are usually family members, someone who's not being paid. Um, that's why I mentioned right. the shoima Sakar, who is someone who is a professional shoima who, you know, goes house to house for pay. So, um, uh, OK, so at this point, uh, Yakov is listening to his music on his phone and he starts hearing rustling upstairs, uh, just like some basic banging, um, you know, clothing or even like someone rolling around on the floor if you will um it makes him take off his earbuds and he starts looking around the house he turns on he turns on his favorite feature the flashlight on his cell phone and he starts looking around the house doesn't see anything but then as soon as he turns his light off we see the first instance of a shadow figure in the corner and um you know again this is this isn't anything we haven't seen you know we get the basic kind of bone cracking sound effects as the shadow person moves we got the long tendril like fingernails with sharp claws at the end blah 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 so you know like i said nothing we haven't seen before but then as soon as uh yakov kind of clears his head he looks again the shadow figure is gone um so basically after the shadow oh after he sees the shadow figure, then finally that must have scared him into actually wanting to do his job now. Because then at that point, he picks up the Torah finally for the first time. Of course, anyone who doesn't know, the Torah is, of course, the Hebrew Bible. Specifically, it's the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. But most people just use the Torah as a blanket term for the entire thing. So um, he has his Torah in his hand. It, it's not actually his Torah. It's a Torah from the Litvak residence because... As he's flipping through the pages, a picture falls out, a very old picture, over 50 years old. I believe it was like from 1965, maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. 
And it's basically a picture of Mr. and Mrs. Litvak with a couple of small children. And you can actually see a shadow figure standing behind the Litvaks in the picture. Now, everybody's smiling in the picture. You know, nobody has a menacing look on their face. Everybody's smiling, and they just have this weird shadow figure behind them. Yakov turns the picture over and sees the term Mazik, M-A-Z-Z-I-K. Uh, doesn't really know what that, I don't think he's familiar with that term at that point, mm-hmm. so he just puts the picture back in the Torah and ends up falling asleep. Now, while he's sleeping, we get the first of three flashbacks in the movie. Yeah, we get a lot of flashbacks in this one, but they are storytelling elements, so bear with us. Um, and the first flashback basically shows a young Yaakov um, still dressed in all his Orthodox Jewish gear. He's got the side locks, you know, the curl, the hair curls on the side of his head. He's got those, he's rocking those. And he's walking with a, a young boy, just, you know, no real context at this point, just walking down the street with a young boy. But then suddenly as they walk down the street, they run into three kind of hoodlum bully type guys who instantly start throwing Jewish epitaphs at them. You know, hey, Jew boy, or what's your hurry? I'm trying to ask you a question. Just random bully crap like that. As soon as Yakov and the little boy try to walk past them, one of the bullies pushes Yakov down. And the three men, and I have no idea what the motivation here is, but all three men just start assaulting this little boy, not necessarily punching or or attacking, but bullying him. Like they put him in a headlock, Uh, you know, they're calling him Jewish, um, you know, names, uh, blah, blah, blah. They cut off his payas, his his, uh, his thigh curls. But that's later. Mm. That's in the second flashback. Uh, So in this flashback, it basically just ends with Yakov. Uh, on the ground, on his ass, after getting pushed down, and the three men are actively bullying the little boy. And then the flashback just ends at that point. So, when he wakes up, an entire hour has gone by. It was, it was 5 to 12 when he fell asleep. It is now 5 to 1. By the way, did you guys notice that the clocks never changed in the house after he woke up? It was 5 till 1 the rest of the movie. I don't know if you guys noticed, mm, but every clock I in didn't. the house... Red twelve fifty five. I could have sworn I seen like ten to five. Oh yeah, later or, on, like once it was oh. like thirty. Once he actually had that FaceTime call uh. with Sarah, then you start seeing it. But as as the movie's going along, every single clock in the house reads five till one. So I kind really? of thought that was interesting. Like, I, is that the is that the exact moment that the Masik? you know, decided to start fucking with them. Who knows? I'm sure there's an explanation that a smarter man than me can figure out, but there it is. Um, Okay, so, uh, like I said, he wakes up from his little one-hour power nap, and he realizes that he has a major cramp in his right hand. Like, really, really bad. Like, you can almost hear bones cracking as he's trying to expand his hand. But it ends up going away fairly quickly. He doesn't think anything of it. Uh, And then he starts having a text conversation with Sarah. Nothing real eventful, just going back and forth. You know, what are you doing? You know, you know, obviously they both uh, coming from the background that they come from. They're both like kind of standoffish with their texts. Everything is very polite. At one point, I actually found it kind of funny. At one point, uh, Yaakov was going to send salute, which is the Hebrew word for hello. And he types out the word salute. And then he stares at it for a second. Then he puts a period and sends it. 
Like he he's so like he he's so unfamiliar with texting that he set like a proper sentence, properly capitalized and punctuated, and he actually stopped to think about it. I thought that was a, kind of a cool um, little look at that character, you know, just him not being familiar with technology and you know social graces, things like that. So, so I, I do that. What's that? Well, I, I because I'm a grammar Nazi, but well, so am I. But I'm just saying I do that too. So. I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. Every single text I've ever sent in my entire fucking life is punctuated and capitalized, but that's just me. I, I know the, the majority of, like, millennials, let's say, don't do that. And I would say that Yakov is solidly at the age of, you know, being roundabout a millennial somewhere in his 20s. So it just, I found it kind of funny that, that he took the time to think and then punctuate the sentence before he sends it off. It just, I don't know. It added a little yeah, bit to I, I'm not doing that. English professor writes letter U, wanna, <laughs> W-A-N-N-A. <laughs> oh, no good. way. Uh, so basically after his text chat with Sarah, he ends up receiving a text that has a video file in it. He opens up the video file, and it's actually a cell phone video of him sleeping uh, in the during the previous hour when he was taking a nap. It basically shows somebody holding a camera or a cell phone or whatever, but holding the camera source, and they slowly walk up to Yakov as he's sleeping in the chair. And then what we see is the arm of an elderly woman kind of reach out towards him and kind of, you know, just kind of brush his hair back, you know, very lovingly. So obviously we all assume it's probably Mrs. Masek, which is exactly what he assumes as well. He uh, he thinks that Mrs. Masek is like kind of fucking with him, maybe because she wasn't happy with him as a shoima, you know, maybe he's screwing with her. So he actually walks over to the stairs to see if Mrs. Uh, Litvak is up there. She is not. And then when he turns back down to his phone to look at the video again, the file is gone. It has completely disappeared from his phone. So I don't know if this was like a one-time watch thing, uh, but yeah. Obviously, there's some supernatural shit going on. Uh, video filing files disappearing off the phone isn't normal. So, But he ends up just putting the phone down. And he starts walking around the house. And then what he sees, we get, we get kind of our first little bit of horror, if you will. We, we basically, he walks into the hall. And down the hall, um, in part of the kitchen, he sees the legs of a human. Uh, can't really tell if it's male or female. Just a pair of legs. Uh, and the legs are, the feet specifically, are moving in a way that they're dragging their uh, toenails against the tile of the kitchen floor. And one, one the, the big toenail just gets ripped right off. Like, it, it, teeth and nail things are always the worst for me. You know, I can watch somebody get eviscerated in a film. It doesn't bother me. I see somebody get their teeth drilled or get a toenail ripped off. And yeah, I'm instantly skeeved out. So that works for me. So anyway. Yeah, that scene definitely worked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as the legs disappear out of sight, he then follows them into the kitchen. And of course he finds nothing, no one there, no legs, no blood on the floor, blah, blah, blah. At this point, you could see that Yakov is starting to kind of come unhinged a little bit. And he decides to call his psychiatrist. Uh, unfortunately, his psychiatrist doesn't answer the call. And he leaves a frantic message on the psychiatrist's voicemail talking about, I'm seeing things, I'm hearing voices, I, I'm taking my pills, I'm on my medication, but I'm still seeing this stuff. You know, can you please call me? Blah, blah, blah. 
Um, the next scene, basically, Yakov pours himself a glass of water in the Litvak kitchen. And after he takes a sip of the glass, uh, a, a sip of the water out of the glass, we get that kind of horror trope where he looks down and the glass is filled with blood. He drops the glass, which shatters all over the floor. The blood that was in the glass, sh- uh, you know, spreads all over. But then instantly, at that point, Mrs. Litvak uh, appears in the kitchen, turns the light on, and when Yakov looks down, of course, it's just a broken glass of water, no blood. At this point, Mrs. Litvak tells him the story, uh, multiple stories, actually. First, she tells him the story about their relationship with their children. She explains that um, she drove her children away, but she did it in a way that they thought it was their choice. You know what I mean? Like she basically maybe egged them on or did something to antagonize them enough to just decide, you know, F this, I'm leaving. But that was her plan the whole time. And she explains that this house isn't a place for children. It's not a house at all. It's a bunker. When you come in here, you never, ever leave. It's not It's not like you can come visit and then go, um, which obviously a very menacing statement to make to Yakov, who, you know, just came here for the first time. Um she also um, starts to explain how there are things in the house that they can't control, evil things, malevolent things that uh, potentially are haunting uh, uh, the Litvak family. Um, As she also explains, um, or excuse me, at this point, uh, she decides to go back to bed. She actually, what ends up happening is she picks up a piece of the broken glass on the floor, puts it in the palm of her hand and squeezes her hand tight, like basically cutting herself purposely. She starts to bleed Yakov, of course, being the caring you know, person that he is, he instantly wants to help her. He wants to bandage her hand and get her back up into bed. But she ends up, you know, kind of pushing him away and not wanting to be touched by him. And she decides to go back to bed. But as she goes back to bed, she actually opens the door to her basement. And then she continues going upstairs. At this point, after she walks upstairs, we start hearing... Um, Mr. Lotvik's, uh, Mr. Litvok's voice, excuse me. I'm going to mispronounce that a lot, so bear with me. Um, basically, Yakov hears Mr. Litvok's voice coming from the basement. When he, when he goes down there, what he sees is a videotape that's being played. And what's on the video is basically Mr. and Mrs. Litvok. Um, Mrs. Litvok isn't talking. She's just sitting in the background. But Mr. Litvok is basically talking about, you know, he's been living with this thing for over 50 years, that he did something terrible back in the home country that has, which has forced some kind of malevolent entity to kind of attach itself to him. And he's actually been studying it for the last 50 years. And that's when he says, you know, he talks about the Mizak again, um, talking about, ways that you could potentially get away from it and the one thing that he says is the only way to defeat a mizik a mazik excuse me is to burn its face on the night that it appears and the night that the that the mizak appears is of course when its current host has died and he now needs a new host so uh, basically, you know, Mr. Uh, Litvak um, posthumously is basically telling Yakov, if you want to survive this night and have a normal life moving forward, you need to burn the face of the Mizak. But then he also explains that the Mizak's uh, 
head is turned completely backwards and that this was a, a curse from God, God forcing it to constantly be looking behind it, always looking at the past, never being able to look forward to the future. So basically what we're looking at is a humanoid demon with its head on backwards. Um, and, and like, yeah, I, that, that's kind of a cool, uh, little yeah. take on it. Yeah, that's what I meant about really loving the writing in this. I thought that, you know, a lot of the concepts, you know, I'm sure a lot of it come from, uh, you know, Judaism, and that's fine. But just the way that it was put together and the way that they presented the mythology to us, I thought just worked really, really well. So, again, good job, Keith Thomas. Okay, so... Um, Yakov is still watching this video, uh, where Mr. Lotvik, Litvak, excuse me, is, uh, explaining, uh, the Mizak mythology to him. And then during the video, he starts to see Mrs. Litvak in the background of the video start mouthing some words and she's looking right at him. Mind you, she's on a videotape. So he's watching a videotape of Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Litvak and suddenly she looks directly at him, almost like she's watching him watch the video. And like I said, she starts to mouth some words, but he can't really tell what she's saying because Mr. Litvak is speaking. So he actually goes up and, you know, goes right up to the television to try to see if he can hear what she's saying. And suddenly, clear as day, we see, we hear um, the videotaped Mrs. Litvak just say, behind you. And of course... You know, we all know what's coming at this point. It's a Bloomhouse movie. Uh, so, of course, uh, Yakov turns around and basically something from the shadows reaches out to him. Well, we don't see the face quite yet. We see the back of the head, which apparently this demon doesn't have any hair. So when it's just walking around, you're looking at basically a blank, a blank canvas on their head. But their face is actually on the other side of the head. So, so like I said... Jump scare, this thing reaches out towards Yakov. He, of course, you know, runs out of the basement screaming, or not screaming necessarily, but obviously terrified. And then as he's closing the basement door behind him, his psychiatrist finally calls him back. And basically, Yakov starts explaining everything that he's seeing, that he's seeing shadow people, that he's seeing someone not quite out in the light, in the shadows, so he can only see basic silhouettes. He can't really give a proper description. Um, the psychiatrist, suddenly the demeanor of the psychiatrist on the phone starts to change, starts to get a little darker. And then finally, towards the end of the call, the psychiatrist actually says, does the, does the creature have their head turned backwards? Which instantly is like, oh shit, you know, the, the, as the viewer, you think, oh shit, the psychiatrist has some knowledge of what's actually going on. So you actually start to get excited that somebody might actually believe him. But then he ends up getting another phone call on the other line. He asks his psychiatrist to hold on. He flips over to the other line and it's his psychiatrist again, calling him back saying, I'm so sorry that I couldn't get back to you. I was busy with something. At that point, Yakov realizes uh, one of these people is lying to me. So he puts the second call on hold. He goes back to the original call and he just says, who are you? And now instead of the voice of his psychiatrist, he hears the voice of a little boy basically saying, why did you let me die? Why did you let me die? And, you know, of course, you know, Yakov kind of goes, you know, it, it freaks him out a little bit. 
Um, at this point, he thinks he sees Mrs. Litvok downstairs. Um, it's a two-story house, if you haven't already figured out. Up Bedrooms upstairs, kitchen and living room downstairs. Um, he thinks that he hears Mrs. Litvok in the hall, and he walks out to the hall where the stairs are, and the lighting in this particular room is such that you can't see people's heads. You can only see their bodies as they go up the stairs. Well, what he sees is the image of Mrs. Litvok going up the stairs backwards. We're actually looking at her front as she's walking up the stairs. Now, we, like I said, because of the way the scene is lit, we can't see her head. So, you know, all you see is this old woman walking up the stairs backwards. And then as soon as um, she disappears into the darkness at the top of the stairs, the real Mrs. Litvok appears right behind him. And he basically realizes what he just saw. Um, he starts freaking out even more and basically tells Mrs. Litvok, okay, we need to get out of here. We need to leave right now. Um, of course, Mrs. Litvok, you know, said, ex starts explaining to him, it it's not going to let you go. And Mrs. Litvok has amazing knowledge of what's going on here, which I really appreciate, you know. Instead of getting all of our exposition from the videotape or whatever, Mrs. Litvok is actually feeding us more stuff as it goes, and I, I kind of, I kind of dug that. Yeah, um, and I think, it, I think it makes for a creepy situation where she's almost content. I mean, part of it could be her the illness, because yeah, with the Alzheimer's, and she, you know, she's probably think she thinking her, her or she sorry, dementia. Yeah, yeah, I mean. I think that's just part of it because she comes off as kind of creepy in some ways too. Oh, and yeah. it, it helps the situation or sorry, it helps create atmosphere for what's going on inside the house because he's kind of like weirded out by her at the same time as everything that's actually going on with the demon. Definitely. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. So at this point, like I said, the real Mrs. Litvok appears behind them. And at this point, as he's trying to convince her to get out of the house with him, she starts explaining to him, it's not going to let you go. You're going to try to leave, but it's going to force you to come crawling right back here. Of course, he scoffs at that and ends up leaving anyway, um, completely avoiding his religious responsibilities because he's scared. But, you know, again, he's a young guy, so we'll cut him a little slack. He ends up walking out of the apartment or the house, it, it looks like they're in a brownstone, you know, one of those kind of duplexes. And he ends up walking out of the house. Um, and as he walks farther and farther away from the house, he starts getting the cramps again, the cramp that I talked about earlier that he got when he woke up from his nap. But now the cramps are more severe. And literally, we see as he's taking more steps farther and farther away from the house, the more parts of his body are cramping up. He's in absolute pain to the point where he finally sees like some kids uh, in the distance in the street, just hanging out and he's trying to reach them. But suddenly the pain is so bad that he just drops to the ground and he has no control of his uh, extremities. He's just kind of on the ground in pain. Um, he kind of puts two and two together at that point, turns around, starts crawling back to the house, just like Mrs. Litvok predicted. But then he notices that as he's getting closer to the house, the cramps are going away. Uh, he's he's regaining control of his extremities to the point where when, once he gets all the way back to the stairs, he's not in any pain at all, and he's walking completely normal. Um, 
so we he starts to go up the stairs. Um, when he gets like halfway up the stairs, he thinks that he hears something behind him. He turns around, nothing there. Here we go again, folks, Blumhouse jump scare. When he turns back around towards the house, there's the Mossack standing right in front of him. But the Mossack is standing backwards so that we can actually see its face this time. And it's it's kind of weird. It's definitely a very demonic, though mildly humanoid face, eyes, mouth, nose, but obviously very distorted. We don't get a lot of shots of, you know, full, really nice shots of the Mossack. And again, I like that. It's the less is more mentality that made Jaws an absolute classic. Um, obviously it's not going to work for every single film, but for whatever it's worth, I liked that they didn't bombard us with shots of the Mozic, especially in the third act. Cause that's usually the, the Blumhouse way where they really abuse the creature design during the last act. But luckily we didn't get that here. Um, and of course, as Yakov uh, sees the Mozic standing right in front of him, he gets scared. He falls back down the stairs and get and knocks himself out. Basically he's completely knocked out. Um, uh, after that, uh, let's see, he ends up, oh, that's when we get our second flashback. And what we see in the second flashback is a continuation of the first flashback. Remember in the first flashback, Yakov was walking with a little boy down the street. Well, in the interim, uh, from the conversation that he had with his psychiatrist, we, we find out that the little boy is his brother. It's actually his brother. And we, like I said, at this point, we see the rest of the flashback. And what happens is, like I said, as Yakov and his little brother are walking down the street, they are assaulted by three, you know, just random bullies on the street. They push Yakov down. They start kind of bullying the little boy, like I said, putting him in a headlock, cutting a lock of his hair off for some reason. I'm sure there's a religious connotation there that I'm not familiar with, but there it is. Um, they cut off a little piece of, of the boy's hair, and uh, the little boy finally gets away, like is able to get out of the grasp of the bullies, but instead of running back towards his brother, he accidentally runs into the street and gets hit by a car and unfortunately is killed instantly. So now we know why Yakov is a broken individual, why he walked away from Judaism. It seems like his guilt has become too much of a burden for him and just doesn't feel like he can do his religious duties. So, yeah, we now, you know, kind of understand what Yakov has been dealing with. And that's that's what makes, you know, even though this is like, you know, soaked in this Judaism um, world, that's what makes it universal to everybody, you know. It's mm -hmm. that, um, you know, that scene really brings it, brings it home you know to the the human condition that we all connect to on this level right absolutely yeah definitely all right so at the end of the flashback like i said we see yakov holding his brother in the street crying uh when he wakes up because don't forget he was knocked out uh when he come, came back to the house when he wakes up his wounds are all dressed he has bandages on his hands he's got a bandage taped to the back of his head where he hit his head when he fell down the stairs um, obviously, he assumes that Mrs. Litvok did that, though how a frail little old woman could drag this six-foot adult male into her house is beyond me, but, you know, doesn't really become a major plot point, so we can just walk away from that one. Um, like I said, he comes to, 
Uh, he's bandaged up, and then he looks over to where uh, Mr. Litvok's body should be, and there's no body. The body is gone. Uh, the white sheet that was on top of the body is still there, but the body is just completely gone. At this point, Sarah ends up FaceTiming Yakov. Um, she basically is returning a phone call, that because apparently he had called her earlier uh, after the text conversation, uh, but before now, obviously, where she didn't answer. So she calls him back on FaceTime. They are now literally looking at each other. She's in bed because it's 4.30 in the morning at this point. And she's basically just talking, trying to comfort Yakov. Yakov is very openly explaining everything that he's seen tonight. Apparently, he has no worries about how what she might think of these crazy stories that he's telling. But surprisingly, she believes him. She starts talking about, you know, what could be doing this to you? What do you think is happening? But then suddenly, just like with the phone call earlier from the, from the psychiatrist, suddenly Sarah's demeanor changes. And she starts looking angry. She's looking at him angry. And suddenly she starts saying the things that the Mazik has been kind of whispering to Yakov throughout the film. Why did you let him die? You let him die, blah, blah, blah. And then literally the last thing that Sarah says on the FaceTime call is exactly that. You let him die. And as or you just watched him die, excuse me, was the exact line. And then as soon as she says that, we see the arms of the Mazik show up uh, behind her and grab her and take her out of the camera frame. And, you know, and Yakov instantly, you know, hangs up the phone, starts freaking out mildly. But then suddenly we, we look over to the table that had Mr. Litvok's body on it under the sheet. And suddenly we see a body start forming under the sheet, almost like it's being lifted from a riser under the floor. Um, and then as the body is now fully visible under the sheet, it actually sits up and turns its head towards Yakov. And as soon as it turns its head towards him, we see bleeding from underneath the sheet. We start seeing bleeding around the head area, um, you know, soaking through the sheet. And then we hear a little boy's voice. Yes, Yakov hears the voice of his brother. And again, the brother is repeating the things that have been said throughout the movie. Why did you let me die? You, you just watched me die, blah, blah, blah. At this point, Yakov becomes very emotional, and he actually walks up to the body, still under the sheet, mind you, so we can't see what's under there, though it does vaguely look like a little boy, because it is shorter than, you know, the original body that was uh, laying there, and he actually embraces the body underneath the sheet. He actually hugs it and starts, you know, talking about, I froze, I didn't know what to do, please forgive me, you know, the basic... Um, you know, guy feeling guilty about something that he allowed to happen and, you know, begging for forgiveness uh, from the person. As he's doing this, as he's pleading for forgiveness from, you know, what he thinks is his brother's body at this point, uh, the body just disappears, just whoop, falls right through the sheet. And now he's just holding an empty sheet. At this point, you can kind of see the look on Yakov's face change from fear to frustration. You can actually tell that he's starting to just get sick of this Mazik you know, screwing with him. And he finally goes upstairs for the first time in the film. He had, you know, he had been respectful and didn't go upstairs to any of the bedrooms. Uh, but now, like I said, because of his frustration, he basically runs up the stairs. 
Uh, the very first room that he goes into has Mrs. Litvak just sitting there. He asks, he asks her if she was the one who dressed his wounds, and she goes, oh, no, um, Reuben did. Reuben is her husband, Reuben um, Litvak. She actually says, oh, no, Reuben dressed your wounds. And then he asks her, where is your husband now? And she says, oh, he's right down the hall, like totally nonchalantly, like, you know, like nothing happened. Oh, he's down the hall. At this point, Yakov uh, leaves her bedroom or uh, attempts to turn around and leave her bedroom. But Mrs. Litvok stops him and hands him a satchel. Um, um, and she basically just says, this might help. Um, we're not 100% sure what this, what's in the satchel at this point. Uh, Yakov decides to go down the hall a little bit, not all the way to, you know, uh, where Litvok might be. But he goes out there, he opens up the satchel and realizes that inside is a Jewish amulet with the Star of David on it, um, you know, used by holy men in the Orthodox uh, Jewish religion. So. He actually takes it. Oh, and then I, I, I have a question that I'm wondering if Joey might be able to answer. Um, he pulls out something that almost looks like a GoPro camera, and he straps it to his head. But it's yes. not a camera. Do you know what that was? No, no, no. That's um, it, so it's called like Tiflin. That's that. See, he wraps that thing on his uh, arm. Uh huh. And then the box on the head, it has to do with, uh, you know, it's just like a, a, it's part of that, it's part of that custom mm -hmm. that they do. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of prayer that they do. Like a lot of times you'll see them, um, on an airplane doing this. Have, have any of you ever seen this? It's a prayer. Um, they strap the cube on their head and then they wrap that, um, leather strap around the arm it's called teflin um again it's just like uh a, a prayer so it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a prayer that they do very cool awesome hey you're getting a free education here folks <laughs> enjoy it <laughs> i'm sure right. it has like you know a specific um yeah i looked it up online i tried to find like um you know, uh, Orthodox Jewish amulets or, you know, religious items for protecting against evil and, you know, things like that. And I couldn't find anything that even remotely looked like that little box. But, yeah, thank you for that, yeah. Jeff. Perfect. Yeah, no problem. All right. So at this point, after um, Yaakov has prepared himself, he's put on his vestments and he's he lights a single candle and he basically starts walking down the hall. And what we get is... The hall looks like it's a quarter mile long. I mean, because he's looking all the way down the hall, and all we see is a tiny little flicker of light coming from what is probably a candle. So he starts slowly approaching the light. As he's approaching the light, we start to see the walls around him, um, maybe not necessarily breathing, but you know that Nightmare on Elm Street effect where Freddy Krueger is behind the wall and suddenly he can, like, you know, poke out, not literally poke out, but um, almost like it's a sheet. Uh, we get that effect, and it's all the way down the hall. Like, all the walls on the hall look like they have writhing demons behind them as they're kind of reaching through um, or trying to reach through the wall. As Yakov gets closer to the end of the hall, we start to realize that the flicker of light is indeed a candle. 
and, and for a, for a few seconds, all we can see is the candle. And then, of course, Yakov continues walking down the hall. Suddenly, we can see that the candle is being held by someone or something. It looks humanoid. You know, it, at first, it just looks like a basic person. Again, because of how the lighting is done, we don't see the head. We just kind of see the torso. But then as Yakov gets closer to it, he really, he sees the hands and he sees those long tendril like fingers and the claws. And he realizes that, you know, he's, he's going exactly where he needs to go. As he gets closer, finally, he's face to face with the thing. Uh, no pun intended, because don't forget the head is backwards. Um, mm. But then the Mazik with its backwards head slowly starts to turn around towards um, Yakov. And, you know, once again, we see like a vague kind of blurry shot of his face, you know, nothing too, nothing that lasts too long anyway. But then suddenly the face of uh, the, of the Mazik morphs into Yakov's face. And Yakov is basically standing in the middle of the hall, looking at himself, looking at basically his doppelganger. Um, obviously signifying that the Mazik now has, has made a claim on his body as his new host and, you know, kind of showing, you know, this is, you know, put, putting a mirror up to Yakov, if you will. And, that, um, and that, that's the true face that they talked about earlier. Yes. You have to burn its true face. Yes. Exactly. Um, so at this point, you know, once uh, Yakov kind of understands the situation and what's going on, he basically says a quick prayer uh, in Hebrew, and then he extends his arm that's holding the candle towards the, the mazik and literally sets its face on fire. Basically, its face starts burning, and it falls backwards into the shadows, so we don't actually get to see it for very long. At that point, it's the next morning. Ya uh, Yakov has defeated the mazik. But as he walks back downstairs to, you know, complete his duties for the evening, he notices that Mr. Litbox's body is literally writhing and rustling under the sheet. So the body under the sheet is back to being an adult male. And like I said, it's, it's writhing. You know, you hear, once again, you hear the cliche bone cracking sound effects, um, like it's, you know, a possessed you know, or a, a person possessed by a demon or something. Uh, the sheet never comes off, Mr. Mr. Litbach. He's just under there writhing. Yakov then sits down next to him and starts uh, saying prayers. Um, just starts saying prayers in Hebrew. And at that point, we get our third and final flashback. And what this flashback is, is we get to see what they were implying with the very opening scene. Remember, we were talking about the uh, vague images at the beginning that show a man holding a gun against his will to a woman. What we see is young Mr. Litvak, uh, Litvak, young Mr. Litvak, and there is a German SS soldier standing right next to him and is basically forcing him to shoot his own wife. So basically his wife is standing with her back to him. He's holding up the gun. Of course he's unable to pull the trigger. I mean, what man in his right mm -hmm. mind can kill his own wife? So the German soldier kind of sticks his finger on top of Mr. Litvok's finger and forces him to pull the trigger, which of course kills his wife. And what's, what's interesting about this flashback scene too is that as... Um, Mr. Litvak has the gun up 
on his, uh, you know, pointed to the back of his wife's head. If you look in the background, you can actually see a black shadow figure start moving towards Mr. Litvak. Just just moving towards him, not necessarily too menacingly or anything. Just a an out of focus black shadow figure. And then as soon as he as soon as he's forced to pull the trigger, we then see the hands of the Litvak go up on Mr. Uh, excuse me, of the Mazik go up on Mr. Litvak's shoulders, kind of implying, I've got you now, that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting how um, Yakov is being punished because of his guilt for something that he couldn't control, just like Mr. Litvak is. And I think at some point in the film, Mrs. Litvak actually says that the Mazik preys on broken people, people with bad yes. memories. Um, you know, so obviously, the pain is the, the painful, uh, the guilt. Oh, what's that? The trauma. I was going to say, trauma, guilt. With, yeah. You know, People your standard suffer you know, pain demonic, are their victims. Yes, exactly. Your standard demonic possession fair, broken people are easier to possess, blah, blah, blah. But it seems like the Mazik specifically has an MO where he goes after people who are riddled with guilt and then turns that guilt against them, you know, basically to drive them crazy. So, so the flashback ends, like I said, with the, with the Mazik having his hands on top of uh, Mr. Litbach's shoulders. We then come back to the present day. Uh, Yakov is still basically spouting off his prayers in Hebrew, but then he starts yelling um, in English, let him go. Just He starts repeating it. Let him go. Let him go. And as he's repeating this statement, you see the body start to slow down in its writhing and you know, kind of rustling under the sheet. It starts to slow down until finally it stops moving altogether. And then at this point, Mrs. Litvak comes downstairs and she actually cries for the first time in the film. She's actually shedding some tears for her husband. I'm not sure if that's her making the realization that her that her husband's soul has now been saved, and that you know he won't be a prisoner of the Mazik for eternity. Um, and then she actually makes a statement of, "I'm going to go outside and have some fresh air." Uh, if you remember the scene earlier where Yakov tried to leave but was prevented from it. I mean, this woman, this man and woman could have been in this house for upwards of 50 years and never were able to leave. So seeing kind of the look on her face, she finally sheds some tears for her husband. But then there's almost like a look of hope on her face where she actually that's when she says, I'm going to go outside and enjoy some. I forget if she says fresh air or sunshine, but one of those. Yeah. And you can kind of see the the look of relief on her face that she can actually leave her house finally. Um, at this point, Reb uh, Shalom comes back, asks uh, Yakov, you know, were there any problems? You know, everything OK? And Yakov just kind of blows it off and says, yeah. Everything was normal. Nothing happened, you know, to speak of, blah, blah, blah. Of course, Reb once again starts talking about potentially uh, Yakov's return uh, to the temple. And um, Yakov basically, his last line of the film is basically, look, I did this as a favor, but I, you know, I, I think his exact words were something like, not today, you know? Um, yeah, obviously, I Yakov that, he was like, point. not today. Exactly. Like, He's just like, yeah, yeah today's, not to the day. To <laughs> today's not the day to talk to me about, you know, Orthodox Judaism <laughs> after right. everything. 
I've been the shul no. is is the temple, so he asks him to come with him to the shul, and yeah. he tells him not today. Exactly. So after that conversation, a couple of more men arrive with Reb to collect the body, uh, Mr. Litbox's body. And then we get one of my favorite shots in the whole movie. I know that this shot is going to piss off some people because of what it might imply or what Bloomhouse might be trying to do with a franchise. Um, but I still love the shot. Basically, what we get is Yakov walks out of the house. And once he gets a couple of steps away from the house, he actually starts to feel a little pain in his chest. And he starts to think, oh, shit, did I not escape this thing? Is it going to keep me here? But then he kind of stretches his arms a little bit and realizes it was just a temporary pain. He continues walking away from the house and he sends a text to Sarah asking if she'd like to go out for coffee. Yakov then walks off uh, camera view, like uh, off to the side. And what we're left with is an out of focus shot of the front of uh, the Litvak house. And what we see is once the ambulance leaves with Mr. Litvak's body, we see an out of focus black shadow figure walking mm. out of the house, walking down the front stairs, and then it turns towards the direction that Yakov was walking and then fade to black. So there you go, folks. So That's the vigil. Let's talk about that last scene. Yes. Um, because I was like, I asked my wife, I was like, what? What was that? What was that last figure to leave? Was, is that the demon? She's like, no, that's the Jewish guy. I'm like. Oh, the, the, the deceased? Not the deceased, but you know how like a bunch of guys came in? Oh, no, that was definitely not them. Because this figure was all black. It didn't have a beard. Um and it was it was so out of focus that it vaguely had a humanoid shape to it. I I right. firmly believe that's the Mazik. Um, I mean, I I'm believe not sure so if that's too, the Mazik but... going after Yakov, as in, oh no, you did not escape me, or if it was the Mazik just kind of admitting defeat and watching Yakov walk away in the distance, and of course now he has to find a new host. So, right, I mean, right. it's up to, it's and up that's to his how I took it. Yeah, you know, I, I I didn't want to say it was the guys. Because obviously when, when us horror fans, the seasoned ones, when we actually see an ending like that, we think, oh, great, they're trying to set up a sequel. But I don't think that was the intention necessarily. I think, yeah, I I think, think so. at, at least my interpretation is that was the Mazik admitting defeat because he doesn't walk towards Yakov. All he does is he walks down the stairs and he just turns towards the direction that he's walking away and then he just stands there. So... Like I said, up to interpretation. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong. Whatever you get out of the film is what you get out of it. Um, but yeah, for whatever it's worth, I enjoyed this movie greatly, even sitting here talking about it. And I I definitely didn't go over every single little scene. I try to stick to just the major plot points when I do these walkthroughs. And look, it, it still takes almost an hour and a half. So yeah, you can almost watch the movie in less time than here talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. Another thing is, my wife says the rabbi knew there was a demon there. What do you I think about that? About that, because he was very standoffish when Yakov asked him why the other guy left. It, right. it did seem like there was some nefarious thing going on there. Right. And this is like a 
common thing. Like people, they actually believe in these things. You know what I mean? Like they know about this stuff. Like it's not yeah. like they they don't. You know, so um, I could definitely see him knowing, but I don't know if we like he plays his. You know, he's got a poker face. We cannot definitively answer that question. You know. Exactly. No, absolutely. Oh, um, sounds a good one. One other thing I was thinking about in a movie was, you know, fate versus free will. You know what I mean? As right. as a theme in the movie, you know, like, is it an unfortunate fate for this kid to die? And eventually it takes him to die in order for him to rid the Mizak, you know, of the SS... Not the SS soldier, the you know, Mr. Litvak soul. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I was definitely wondering about that myself. Hmm. You know, it makes me wonder. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what you, what makes you wonder about the, you know, the themes, the underlying religious themes too, because yeah. there's always going to be that aspect of free will versus always oh, all part of the plan. Is it all? It is. Is it all playing out the way it's? set in motion to or does free will come into play and then what happens if you make bad decisions with your free will and how does that affect right. things later on i mean you know because like that's usually according to the things. religion i would say according to the religion it's you know it's not free will it's fate and it's an you know it's a you know how like in catholicism like it's not an all-fearing god you know what I mean? But in Judaism, it is like they strike fear via God in you to keep all these rules. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like my wife, you know, she yeah, tells old, me old about Testament. Her, you know, the, the past. I was like, you know, like you will sit there like racking your brain with guilt because you didn't pray enough or, some, you know, like it's intense. Like it really, it takes a toll on somebody's psyche, you know? So. Sure. The psychological exploration in the film with his character, I think, is is you know part of the charm, the most interesting aspect of it, you know. Yeah. And that was uh, one of the statements that I made early on about how the battle with the demon for me didn't feel like the emotional climax. What I meant by that is the battle with the demon actually goes by really quick. I mean, he just walks down the hall, he says his prayer, and he lights the mm-hmm. demon's face on fire. But the scene after that, where he's actually, you know, praying next to Mr. Litvok's body as it's writhing there, I thought that was a very powerful scene. Uh, All three of my watches, I was just riveted during that scene, watching this man who's never met this person. He's never met Mr. Litvok, yet he's fighting for his soul. It's almost like I I started to think that maybe Yakov was going to start veering back towards uh, Orthodox Judaism. But obviously, you know, by the end of the night, he just didn't want to hear it and just, you know, kind of left with his own free will again. In fact, he start, he made a date with Sarah on his way out. So obviously, I yeah. don't think he has any major plans to come back. But yeah. Right. Um, and, that, and that's the, the symbolism of the creature, you know, that about his, you know, his own insecurities because of the death of his brother and his guilt from that and how it's taken his toll on him psychologically and how he's given up his faith and everything that he's experienced post the death of his brother you know that's symbolic hence why it was his face the true face and why he had to burn it you know yep Mm -hmm. 
And then the one last thing that I wanted to bring up, and it's actually more of a question. Um, the, the, we, we saw how the Mazik noticed Mr. Litvak as he was about to do the awful thing that he did. I'm wondering, do you think that the Mazik was there when his little brother was dead as well, but just chose not to fuck with Yakov yet because he already had a host? Or was this just convenient that Yakov was the Shoima for the night and basically gave the Mazik a new host, a new, you know, guilt-ridden host? I'm wondering, like, has the Mazik known for years that he, that he wants this guy? Well, or did he that, just make that decision? That kind of almost plays into, like, the destiny or fate thing. Exactly. Like, always yeah, destined to have the showdown. Right, right. That was the point I was trying to make when Joey brought up fate. It's like, well, you know, was he fated from the instant that he let his little brother die, which he didn't let his little brother die. I mean, obviously, right, right. We, we know why demons will bend the truth to drive us crazy, but... Absolutely. I mean... I kept saying all through the movie, dude, if you see an image of your little brother and it's telling you, why did you let me die? That's not your brother because your brother would never say that you didn't let him die. You didn't let anything happen. Yeah. You didn't jump up and act right away when the bullies started bothering him, but it's not like you're responsible right. for his death either. So I know it's like an it, you know, with Georgie, it's just, yeah. you're so guilt rattled that, it's easy to succumb to that, you know? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, uh, definitely the, uh, you know, fate as opposed to happenstance is definitely a And again, that, that's what I love about this film, you know? It, it has substance to it. Like, it hits all the templates of the Blumhouse film and the tropes of the horror movies, but it does have a unique aspect to it when it comes to the authentic Judaism, the little introspection of the character, the psychological aspect of the character, you know, where that side is the stronger aspects than the horror aspect of it, you know? So, overall, I don't know. We rate this? How are we rocking this? Oh, we don't really rate here. We just kind of kind of recommend or don't recommend. Cool. Cool. <laughs> and, you know, it sounds like at least three of the four of us would recommend it. Not to say that Don totally hated the movie, but um, it definitely seemed like it didn't. Yeah, work I may be on it the le- I may be on it the least, but uh, this is still sort of in the same situation where we were with um, Volsus, where I'm like the lowest, but I still think it's really good. Like yeah. if I was to put up this as a review, I'm probably I'm still deciding between a six or a seven. So that's still mildly, you know, a positive rating. Yeah, I hear you. No, no, absolutely. Anything over a six is at least watchable. So yeah, that's I'm saying I'm, I'm debating between like a six or a seven, and I like you. I, I'm kind of a little less lenient on it hearing this um, run back. So I, I may just throw a seven at it, just you know, because of that. So yeah, yeah. Either way, it, or it's you're just so excited to be doing a show with Joey again that <laughs> puts you in such a good mood. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> got half the uh, mafia. Like <laughs> Alright. Well, that's going to wrap up our discussion on the vigil and the episode of Fresh Cuts, but it's that time where we go around and find out uh, where else people can hear us. So we're going to start with Venom. Venom, since our last recording, you got anything new? 
Um, do I have anything news? Not since the last recording, I don't believe. No, but I mean, just to go over, I'll try to be really fast. Um, the main show, No More Room in Hell. We have an episode out currently on Finnish horror films. On In the Mic of Madness, we're going to have uh, our next episode is going to be looking at um, kind of technological horror. So we're going to be <laughs> we're actually going to be reviewing Willie's Wonderland and Maximum Overdrive. Go figure. And Mike famously knows how I feel about Maximum Overdrive, so that's going to be a very fun episode. <laughs> okay, on It's Not Horror Okay, our latest episode is Dog Day Afternoon. Our next episode is going to be The Original Airplane, which I'm highly looking forward to. I'm a big fan of Jerry Zucker and his slapstick, you know, goofy comedy, so that's going to be a fun commentary. On in uh, no that that was in Mega Man on underwater kaiju from outer space. We're still trying to uh, find a date where all four of us can get together and talk about uh, Gamera versus uh, Barugan, and of course continue our Ultraman retrospective. Um, another one of Mike and I's podcasts came back recently. That is of course Theme Warriors, where we have an episode out now about films that had sequels that came long after the previous film. I think our minimum gap is 16 years on the show, and then we've got a gap all the way up to 35 years. So uh, that's also on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. Check that out. Um, and then the last thing I'll talk about is this weekend I will be recording an episode with Dan and Lacey from Cut to the Chase where we will continue or potentially end their Hitchcock retrospective and we're going to be looking at one of my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movies and a very underappreciated one as well called Rope. So mm. that'll be out on Dark Discussions I hope sometime next week. And I think that's everything. If I missed anything, I'm very sorry. <laughs> all right don what do you got uh the only thing that i've got is i'm still waiting for uh graveyard shit to do the uh blind dead show i'm still waiting on that to get released but uh yeah other than that um the only thing i've got going on is a series of interviews now that um we, we can mention this um for those that are unaware or don't know um there's a lot of brouhaha recently about moving Women in Horror Month from February to March to not interfere with Black History Month. And so it was decided that we would share Women in Horror Month interviews in March. So on my site, that's pretty much what I'm doing now is as I'm running through around 130, 140 some odd interviews with uh, women figures in the genre, writers, authors, directors, actors. Uh, party planners, even uh, I've even got uh, haunt actors and uh, animal handlers. So uh, <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, animal uh, handlers. Any well, shark handlers? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I was hoping for some, but um, yeah, the closest I got was uh, animal was uh, spiders and tarantulas and uh, snakes and stuff like that. So it, it's an it, they begin with an ass, I'll take it, but I was, yeah, hoping for sharks like you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've got about 130, 140 some odd interviews to go. So um, I've been publishing those every day for, um, I'll, you'll probably hear this on like the third or the fourth, but I've been publishing at least three a day and I'm probably still going to carry on into April. So 
Uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, check those out. I'm sharing them in most of the groups. You'll find them pretty easily. So, but uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much all I got. Busy man. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, our guest uh, Joey. Um, I don't think you're going to update us on two years worth of things you've done, but rumor is, hey, you might have something new uh, on the way. So. Now's your chance to uh, let the listeners hear and let us know where it would be available right, when it comes out, right, too. All right. So, uh, yeah, I've been off the air for a bit, just, you know, recollecting myself, trying to figure out what I want to do next, you know. Love the horror movies, but got to change things up a little bit. And I'm coming back to the airways with some of the old buddies. So I got a new variety show coming out in a couple weeks on dark discussions podcast network it's called the hmp show and we're going to tackle you know films but not just film but we're going to look at true crime we're going to look at uh conspiracies we're going to look at music and albums we're going to look at literature we're going to have a little comedy skits you know almost like snl type you know stupid stuff in there um and uh i'll be joined by mr william casanelli um, terrible Tanya and Jay Mack, who rescued me from a hostel where I was being held hostage, smothered in Gabagool. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think the first episode will drop March 15th or the 22nd. I'm not sure which day, but uh, it'll be a biweekly show where we will come together and, you know, talk random things. Um for the first episode, we're going to be covering um, the documentary from Netflix, Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, um, along with some other skits, weekly segment called Here's My Picks, where each of us will just give something random that we're into, want to recommend. It might be a movie. It might be a, a song we're digging. It might be a song I wrote. It might be a poem I'm interested in, a short story. Who the hell knows? We'll find out in the upcoming episodes. And uh, some other topics of discussion in, in the episode. Every episode will have a uh, top five in the upcoming episode. Picture yourself in a dystopian future. And you can have five people as part of your crew from real life fiction. It doesn't matter who is your top five. So we'll have that discussion <laughs> along with a lot of other zany antics. So it's like I said, it's a variety show. And uh, yeah, that's what we'll be rocking. Nice. All right. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm always uh, been an avid listener of your stuff, Joey. So I'm glad you're back and with you being back and available, man, come back to the show anytime, this one or or the big one, or the big show. Yeah, buddy, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, making a debut on No More Room in Hell. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, let's see, as far as I go, I think, Venom, you covered everything, because I haven't done anything mm-hmm. else in the past week. So uh, hopefully we'll have a new episode of No More Room in Hell recording, and then... Um, continue our return of theme warriors. Make it two months in a row <laughs> that we that we've been back. So excited for that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's all I got. So, uh, Venom, what we foresee coming up next? You have any idea? Anything? There, any standouts yes. to you? 
Uh, there's two films that, and again, I'll say it again for the millionth time. Listeners, you know I don't watch trailers. I don't read synopses before I watch a, a film. So, But looking through the, some of the new releases, there was a couple of movie posters, I guess, that looked mildly interesting. Uh, one is called The Dead of Night. Uh, it looks like Lance Hendrickson is in it. I don't know at what capacity, if he's the star or just Probably a bit. Probably five later. minutes. Yeah, exactly. That, that's Probably been just kind five of minutes of shot lately. Yeah. Um, yeah, a name in the horror genre that used to excite people, but it's like over the last like five to ten years, his movie selection has been eh, less than stellar. So, well, to be fair, but it's he's still 80, like, so it's not like he can't really get get around to do a lot. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, that's called Dead of Night. Uh, looking at the poster, it looks like it might be a werewolf movie, but I could be wrong because the werewolf is holding a knife. So who knows? <laughs> and then the other movie I was thinking about that just recently dropped is called Await the Dawn. Uh, this one looked interesting. Uh, the poster kind of makes it look like a slasher, but it's got a really good cast. Um We've got Dee Wallace, Bruce Davison, uh, Vernon Wells. I mean, we, we've got some pretty good names in there. You know, no major heavy hitters, but at least Dee Wallace is a classic scream queen, you know, in you know, in the vein of Barbara Crampton and, you know, Linnea Quigley and whatnot. So the, the cast sounded interesting. And like I said, from the poster, it kind of looks like a slasher. So I would probably say Mike. Since you are a purveyor of trailers, I would say go ahead and watch those two trailers and see which one looks more interesting to you, and we'll do it. All right. So the... that's The Dead of Night and Await the Dawn. Await the Dawn. Yeah. Await the Dawn and Ellie. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the power is in my hands for the next episode, so I'll, I'll try to... And I'll listeners, try to, uh, apps, yeah. <laughs> I, we don't. I, I don't always make a specific point of it on the show, but we are very happy with, to take requests. Um, we last week I mentioned thanking Heather Powell for suggesting Wrong Turn because you know that was that was one of her. It, she was one of the people who voted on it, and she was the first one, so she was the one who came to mind. But yeah, listeners, man. If there's new movies on the horizon coming out and you're interested in what we think of those films, by all means, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter. You can drop me an email at mrvenompodcasts at gmail.com. We love requests, so by all means, you know, hit us up on the Facebook page, interact with us, and give us feedback. Hell, tell, tell me how sick you are of hearing my voice. I yeah. love negative feedback. <laughs> yeah, and when, and when it when it comes to requests, now is probably the best time to do it because, you know, assuming everything goes to plan, and you know, in a few months, I would say theaters start to open back up and theatrical releases, you know, we're all crossing our fingers on it. But you know, mm-hmm. once once horrors in the theaters again, we're pretty much going to be covering those week to week as much as we can so right now with when it's all vod it's it's the time because listeners you might have something on your watch list that we haven't even heard of and aren't aware of and we and we'll be very interested to cover it so yeah let us know for sure the only the only criteria is that it's got to be new it's got to be a 2021 film At, at least 2021 in the u.s if it came out in a foreign region last year but just got a u.s release that's fine so yeah the newest of the new and also, uh, the last thing I'll leave us with is, uh, since it's probably a movie that we're not going to uh, review here, I will say, 
I enjoyed Willy's Wonderland. If anybody cares about my two cents, I had an absolute blast with that movie. So, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to review it. I'm just going to say I had fun. <laughs> yeah, that's that one's on my list. It kind of got knocked down because, man, I'm hearing like so many mixed things about it. But um, I, I, I'm definitely be checking it out. It's a movie starring Nicolas Cage as a nameless character who fights possessed animatronic, uh, you know, characters. Are you expecting The Exorcist? I mean, from that description alone, you you get exactly what you would expect from this movie. And for whatever it's worth, from beginning to end, I had a blast with it. It's fun. It's, it's the sheer definition of turn off your brain and just enjoy a stupid mm-hmm. movie. And so they took a cue from Banana Splits movie? Yes, I actually like this one better than Banana Splits, believe it or not. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, I heard this one, um, originally they were trying to like make some licensing deal with Five Nights at Freddy's. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it fell through, so they kind of had to like take that aspect of it away, although what remains still is very reminiscent in like design and everything. Kind of. I mean, because Five Nights at Freddy's very much was about atmosphere. This movie is about action. Uh, Willy's Wonderland is straight action. Whereas when you played Five Nights at Freddy's, the the, the horror would kind of ramp up. It would start out really slow. You would just hear maybe a noise. You'd see like a flash of an animatronic character in the background or something. So it definitely had more of a horror survival feel to it. Whereas Mm -hmm. this movie is just fun as shit. (laughs) Like I said, turn off your brain and just have a damn good time. All right. Well, thank you for the little mini bonus review. Hey. And uh, <laughs> if if I see it by the time we record uh, No More Roman Hell, I'll I'll chime in. Like, there you go. But you know what I thought. Of course, you're welcome to talk about it even more. Then, hey, it's under so, ninety minutes, so it's a quick watch, and the action yeah. starts right away. There's like no waiting. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, then. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll be back in a week's time. Catch y'all later. Everyone say bye to the listeners. Ciao. Till next time. (laughs) Peace. (laughs)